Brewery DB and Good Beer Matters have partnered to share the stories of craft and culture found in every glass. Brewery DB is the largest curated source of brewery knowledge and serves to connect craft beer lovers like yourself to your next brewery experience. Expand your knowledge on thousands of brews and create personalized brewery routes in your own neighborhood and nationwide. Join the waitlist on brewerydb.com today and be the first to know when new features go live. Check out the newest beta version of BreweryDB and get a taste for what's to come. My name is Jeremy, and this is Good Beer Matters. They have a saying that as long as a river flows, life will be good. Anywhere you go, farming is just a, it's a high risk venture. It always tastes better to me. Just knowing where it came from and knowing the people that were involved, it's just a good all around feeling. Barley is a type of grass where the seeds are turned to malt to serve as the foundation of beer flavor, but it can be so much more. In a water-starved and culturally sensitive region, my next guest creates world-class malt that contributes solutions to both, as well as delicious beer. I've studied, traveled, and tasted my way through some of the best beer the world has to offer. Over the past few years, I've also spoken to beer industry leaders from around the globe, and one thing is certain, the art, the science, and the culture of beer has more of a profound effect on us than we realize. There's a story of craft and culture found in every glass, and I intend to get to the bottom of it. These are the stories of us, of great food and the beer that brings it all together. I hope you enjoy episode 96 of Good Beer Matters with maltster Chip Norton. My next guest uh, comes to us uh, from uh, my home state of Arizona, and and we're going to dive into really what malt can do and, and kind of where malt can go with uh, the different things as, as far as flavor, as far as uh, craft malting, and as far as environmental sensibility. So uh, Chip Norton, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Oh, my pleasure to, to be on with you. Oh, thanks so much. I, um, and I, you know, honestly, I I know a little bit about you guys, even though um, I've I've only been in Arizona for probably a year and a half or so. Um, I heard about what you guys were doing even before I I moved to the state, um, but uh, but I still kind of have a, a vague notion of what you guys do. Uh, I, although I've done a little bit of research, uh, I think you guys have a an incredible story to tell. But I'm going to do my best to just let you tell it. Um, but can we start out with, uh, tell us about your background and how you ended up uh, in, uh, please introduce yourself, but uh, tell us how you ended up uh, becoming a maltster. Okay, well, my name is Chip Norton. I'm the owner of Sanagua Malt, which is a benefit corporation uh, doing business in Arizona. And uh, my background is not necessarily what you'd think is being a portal to uh, the malting business and and having a close working relationship with craft brewers. I was a, um, a part of a family construction business for my entire career. 
in Arizona, and we specialized in historic restorations, but also in uh, large water and wastewater treatment facilities for municipalities and uh, other large entities. So I had no background in, that had anything to do with with grain or uh, brewing beer, although I I uh, I like beer. I I'd go beyond that. I love beer, <laughs> but um, and I retired in 2008 because I wanted to do an encore career as a volunteer. My wife and I moved to a smaller town in Arizona, Camp Verde, a town of about 10,000 people, with with a pretty strong agricultural community, and. Um, I just started doing river conservation work as a volunteer. And for, you know, a decade, I just worked with nonprofits and agricultural producers, municipalities, government entities on river conservation work. And my approach was not so much blaming people for what they may have done in the past, but try to enlist them in collaborative efforts to improve river flows and improve wildlife habitat. And then in uh, 2016, I was working with the Nature Conservancy, a very large conservation organization on um, improving stream flow. And uh, their program manager for the Verde River watershed talked about how they were exploring the possibility of doing crop conversions in the Colorado River Basin. And they felt that switching from corn and alfalfa to small grain crops would save a tremendous amount of water and greatly improve summer flows in rivers and streams and um but there was one thing missing and that was there was no and they had uh, suggested that malting barley might be a, a a good crop to convert to because it would pay well for farmers anyway so we decided to do a pilot project and uh you know we learned two things one that there was good yield uh, on the farms we were working with for switching to malting barley. So it was economically viable for them. And then, and then we worked with a low local, uh, Arizona craft brewer to see if the barley would, would, uh, make good beer barley. Anyway, we got positive answers to both of those questions. And then the idea was, well, there's only one thing missing. We don't have a malting facility in Arizona. Hmm. There was no malting facility. So, so that's, and again, I, I'm, I'm passionate about river conservation, but if I had a higher IQ, I probably wouldn't have launched into this because it's a labor of love. But uh, I said, well, heck, let's do it. So that was, uh, so I started up Sanagua Malt. Uh, another fellow, um, Steve Ayers, who's an award-winning home brewer, and I were the uh, 
founders of Stenango Mall, and that was uh, we incorporated in, as a benefit corporation in 2017. And, and so that's how I got into this business, knowing nothing. <laughs> knowing nothing. And and it's funny, I've I've heard a similar story along those lines before as far as uh, if I were smarter, I wouldn't have done this. Uh, or and, yeah. and I started knowing nothing and just figured it out. Um, that That is a story that, that kind of reverberates through the industry, which is fantastic. Um, but one, I just want to tap my foot on this base real quick. For anyone who doesn't speak Spanish, the name Sinagua, or broken apart, Sinagua, means without water. And it and so, does, yeah. And it's also the name the name that we've ascribed to the first peoples that were here hmm. uh, at, at at a time when there was a a, a, a big drought on the Verde River. So it it covers. We felt it covered both bases. Interesting. Um, yeah. And 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 this really kind of speaks to an, an, a number of issues on a couple different levels. Number one, I think a lot of people and and before I moved to the state, I, I was one of those people that thought, well, you know, Arizona is a desert. Nothing grows in Arizona. But uh, the opposite is true. There are some there's some fantastic agriculture uh, here in Arizona. Um, and, you know, a case in point, uh, your malt. Um, but the other thing about this, too, is that uh, at the time of this recording, the West is really enduring um, just sustained year after year drought. And it's really starting to become, uh, you know, it's always been a problem, but now it's really starting to become an issue where, you know, uh, you know, uh, cities in California are wondering how are we going to get enough water to our people, let alone our agriculture, you know, and, you know, forget, forget watering the lawn, uh, this summer, uh, you know, we have all these issues that are really starting to compound. Um, but you found a solution in a desert using, uh, barley that will eventually go to breweries and, dis and distilleries, correct? That is correct. And, and I would add, we're, we're also now working with, uh, some native American tribes, uh, that they're growing heritage wheat and we're, we're now malting that as well. So, um, we're now doing barley, which is the bulk of our sales and, and Sonoran white wheat. Okay. And so that, so I, I really want to unpack this because we found a solution to an environmental problem. We, uh, are working with, um, native cultures to, uh, to kind of create a, uh, all around win-win benefit but we're also supplying an industry that we all love and we want more of the products, uh, uh, AKA beer and, and whiskey and whatever it may become. Correct. Correct. So share with us about that, that story. I mean, let's dive into that a little bit more. I mean, the environmental impact, the cultural impact, the economic impact, uh, oftentimes those things, um, don't come in the same package, but you're saying that you have it all in the same package. Well, that's 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 our goal, and I I think uh, you know we we've been quite successful. Um, I mean, just in the, you know we actually started uh, selling malt in the summer of 2018, and in the last three years, uh, and these numbers come from the Nature Conservancy. We you know we've saved over 400 million gallons of uh, 
stream flow in in the Verde River and its tributaries. So I think um, we have found that we do um, we have achieved on, on the limited production that we've done today what what we set out to do. But our yeah we had uh, we we're trying to accomplish just as you stated more than one thing at at, at one time. One was to preserve agricultural heritage in a way that's sustainable uh, because some farming, you know, when you look to the future with, with, uh, you know, river flows are not increasing, uh, you know, snow melt is not increasing. So, you know, how can family farms stay in business uh, where we're not giving up arable land to, you know, subdivisions and other development because uh, we may rue the day we lost it in the future and in in rural communities you know agriculture is still a big part of not only the local economy but um you know the culture in the area and you know if you're looking for a way to, to where rural communities can in, embrace conservation goals and uh, keep water flowing in rivers and streams, then, um, you know, this is sort of a win-win in that sense. So we started out working with uh, a family farm, well, a couple farms from different family members in the Verde Valley. And, and now we are also working with the Yavapai Apache Nation, uh, on this crop conversion. And they uh, have a very strong commitment to uh, keeping the Verde River flowing in the summer. So something that's always inspired me is in, in talking to, um, you know, the agricultural folks at the Avapai Apache Nation and some of the tribal elders that I've spoken with is, you know, they have a saying that, um, as long as a river flows, life will be good. And um, they're they're very passionate about keeping uh, the Verde River flowing. And I, th I think the you can flip that saying, and and uh, it's also true that as long as life is good, the river will continue to flow. Uh, because if uh, the agricultural community community and the the people that live in these rural communities, um, you know, if, if they're making money in, uh, in agriculture, then they're more likely to support conservation causes that keep the river flowing. It seems so, like there's a, a cycle there, though, uh, that as long as we, the people, take care of the river, then the river will in turn take care of us. And, exactly, and, and so you're. It sounds like you're talking about, uh, you know, our duty to to keep this river flowing so that we can reap the benefit. And and so you are actually uh, part of the group uh, along with the the natives to 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 ensure that this river continues to flow. Well, that's the goal, and and you know I'm you know Sonagamalt really is just the link. And, you know, the real champions here are the farmers, uh, you know, whether it be Hauser Farms or Speck Farms or the Yavapai Apache Nation. 
And it's also the end users, you know, the the progressive brewers that are really interested in, you know, using sustainable products and, and their patrons that might be willing to pay a little more for uh, a product that, um, you know, is helping sustain a lot of really good things. Yeah. And and I've spoken to other craft maltsters before, uh, and the 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 cost difference that they've shared with me is minimal. And it it could be uh, somewhere along the lines of like ten cents a pint, for example. But the flavor is much better. The impact on the land and the people is much better. Um, is this the same situation with what you were seeing? Human beings have used the power of storytelling for millennia. We use stories to educate, motivate, and inspire others to lead better lives. If you're a business in the beer industry, we can use the power of story to better serve your customers. At Mountain Sea Media, I help you tell your story and keep your brand on top of mind. Mountain Sea Media is your resource for engaging multimedia beer content. Contact me at jeremy at mountainseamedia.com to discuss your next project. After all, it's your story. I'll help you tell it. Well, yes, and I, I, I think when I quaff a beer that uh, is made from local products, I, I'm, I'm probably subjective. Uh, it always tastes better to me. <laughs> It's just just knowing where it came from and knowing the people that were involved. It's just a good all-around feeling. So. Uh, I I totally agree, and and I I'm hoping that we will find more of that uh, kind of like homegrown kind of flavor. But um, I, so I I want to you've kind of given us the broad overview of what it is you're doing, um, but I want to have a better understanding of barley. I, I, I have enough understanding to understand beer and where it comes from, but when it comes down to, uh, you know, the, the, the terms grain to glass, plow to pint, farm to fermenter, all this stuff it is a really wonderful marketing ploy. Um, but when it comes to people actually putting their boots on the ground, I, I haven't done that. So uh, I want to make sure everyone understands um, how barley is grown and the environmental impact that it has. Um, uh, I always assume that, you know, barley, like a lot of plants just takes a lot of water, um, or like hops takes a lot of water, but it, it, I'm starting to gather that barley is not as water intensive. Yeah. There's a couple things happening here, uh, in the Southwest that aren't necessarily going to happen in Saskatchewan. Uh, and, and the bigger grain growing areas, um, the grain belt areas. And so two things happen here that really uh, create this good environmental outcome. Uh, one, um, malting barley, it, its consumptive use is less than corn and alfalfa. And those are the crops that we're converting to, to grain. So right off the bat, you know, it will, depending on whether it's corn or alfalfa, it, it'll uh, use one or two acre feet per acre less of water 
an anchor foot is like 365, 345,000 gallons. Okay. So that's a big shift right there. But the bigger shift uh, here in central Arizona is that barley is not a summer crop. It's a late winter and spring crop. And when we, <clears throat> our agreements with our farmers is that when we, when they convert to barley, they won't grow any other crops in those fields till Labor Day. Okay. And so we're really focusing on summer flows when the demand for irrigation that's diverted from the river is the highest and when the supply is the lowest. So we're, we're using water when there is water, which is, you know, late winter and spring. And, and we're not taking any water out of the river in the summer. And that, that even provides a bigger impact. Uh, and again, just the small scale we're on, like just in the month of June, you know, that'll save about 60 million gallons uh, of water. Uh, and again, we're, we're still on a small scale, although we're, we started a big expansion, uh, you know, now that we've kind of truth this thing out yeah so that that's where you get uh you know a, a significant impact in in positive impact on summer flow uh which is where when streams and rivers eventually go dry it they start hitting ephemeral flows in the in the summer you know rather than the winter so for the sake of uh, comparison, you mentioned it just in June, you could just by using barley during that time of year that you could save 60 million uh, gallons of water. Um, again, for the sake of comparison, how much does an average household use in, a, in that same month? Do you know? Oh, gosh. Um, that's a good question. I... Um... Mm. And even just a ballpark figure would just kind of be helpful to understand the impact that that has. You know, I it's changed so much in the last five years, but I, you know, I'd say probably about two hundred and fifty gallons a day times thirty. Okay. Uh, uh, we can do the math yeah. on that would would be uh, monthly monthly use. Yeah, would uh, just off the top of my head, and I'm not a math guy, but was that seventy five thousand in a month yeah. or something like that? Um, yeah, uh, and that's dropped quite a bit in the in recent years because of reduced uh, consumptive use. Yeah, with household appliances. Now, is this you know, because um, you know? Uh, where you are, where we are in the state, we're not the only ones that have to be mindful of how much water we use. And granted, there are some places where they've got, you know, an abundance of water, but um, it is a resource that uh, that some people are, you know, starving for, I should say thirsting for. Um, is this concept that you have come up with, is this something that could be uh, fairly easily employed elsewhere around the nation in the world? Well, Yes. Uh, however, I would say, you know, this is not the silver bullet. I think the way that you address um, 
you know, water uncertainty in different tributaries. And I'm, I'm talking about, um, you know, rivers and streams is, is, is it, it's, it's not a silver bullet. It's more like silver buckshot. Okay. You need to be doing a lot of different things and they need to be coordinated to, um, sustain stream flow and, um, you know, and, and just to use water in a sustainable way. And it's, you know, in the long run, it's not just surface water and river diversion. It's also groundwater pumping. You just need to have, uh, you know, communities working collaboratively and, and even just on, um, you know, diverting river water, croc conversions. One of the things you do, another thing is improved irrigation efficiency where you're getting away from flood irrigation, going more to drip irrigation and, uh, you know, sprinklers. Uh, you, you need to be doing all of those things, you know, shifting the time of year that uh, water is used on crops. Again, it's going back to the agricultural community. So you need a good strategy and you need to be employing, employing a number of different things uh, to be successful. But I think there's a lot of examples in the world where folks are making a lot of good progress on that. It's, you know, the question is, we would definitely be seeing significant improvements uh, right now if it were not for impacts of climate change. And, uh, you know, so so we've got a moving target in terms of how much precipitation, how much supply we have. And um, so it, it but, it, you know, conservation's always been an uphill struggle. Yeah. And of course, but there are a lot of good success stories out there. Well, and, and we all would love things to just stay the same. Uh, but the fact remains that everything is constantly changing and, and we need right. to change with it. Um Back to barley, I've got another question. Is barley considered a, maybe not a drought-resistant crop, but is it fairly more drought-resistant than, you mentioned alfalfa and corn, I think? Um, well, yes. Uh, and I, I wouldn't call it, a, it's, in Arizona, it's not a dryland crop. Um, you know, very, very few things are in Arizona. Um, but, but it is a crop that uses less water it's a and it's attractive to you know agricultural producers you know because it gives them better certainty for success because gotcha. farming is a high-risk venture and is that, that true amongst the the different varieties of barley well i think they're constantly you know it's hard it's hard for me to keep up with it, I mean, like right now, we're using a Copeland two-row barley for the base malt we sell, and that is a, a barley that uh, has done well in drier climates mm. and uh, in in situations where you're using surface water irrigation. But you know, the universities, uh, you know all over the country are just doing great work. And, you know, now all the new uh, cultivars, you know, they don't have a cool name like Copeland or Metcalf or Harrington. It's more like R2D2-66. <laughs> uh, 
You know, it's just, uh, I, I, and I think that's the critically important work that's going on uh, globally. Yeah. Is, is, is finding crops that are, uh, especially grain crops, use less water. Well, and, and to kind of continue on with this, this thought, um, what are the challenges of, of balancing growing barley in the desert and cultivating a, a flavorful um, barley malt? Well, I, I don't, I don't, uh, on the farming end, I, I think they're, well, actually anywhere, anywhere you go, farming is just a, it's a high risk, uh, venture. And, uh, you know, here, you know, it's stream flow. Um, you know, when a, when a, farmer goes to the expense of planting a new crop and investing their time and energy and acreage in that crop. They want to make sure at harvest time that they've got stable weather. Um, they want to make sure that they have adequate water. And, um, you know, the climate uncertainty now, there are a lot of dryland grain farmers, you know, in Idaho, you know, throughout the Midwest that are experiencing well, I would say climate uncertainty uh, that's having a big impact on them. So I, I think on the farming end, there are challenges wherever you go. On our on our end, I think I think we're dealing with the same thing that your craft malting folks are everywhere in the country. Uh, you know, every year the crop you get is uh, is going to be a little bit different. Uh, you know, just like it would be in a vineyard, just just based on weather, and uh, you know, it just has a bit big impact on the flavor and the quality of the product. So it's just a constant uh, challenge there. Um, sometimes you you find yourself really struggling and working hard, uh, you know, to maintain good quality during periods of you know, extreme drought or, or, or sometimes when the rain comes, there's too much rain. Well, I, I was just going to say, I mean, this is only my, uh, you know, experienced my second summer uh, down here in Southern Arizona and uh, all the locals that we've spoke to said that we've had probably the, um, the most rainfall that they could remember uh, this past summer. So I, I was wondering what that did to, um, uh, if you guys experienced that where you are. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And so was this a, yeah. was this a good year for growing barley then with all of that water that we got? Well, see, that's one of the blessings of harvesting your barley in June. Uh, because a lot of the crops that, uh, the farmers we worked with, uh, you know, it's like they lost a lot of corn, uh, because of the overabundance of rain. Hmm. You know, they had flooding and, and other negative impacts, uh, you know, uh, and a lot of that um, came when the, the corn was, you know, only, you know, eight weeks away from harvest. So that had a, that that's one of the benefits of switching to barley. But uh, for us, lots of power outages and, uh, 
you know, <laughs> it was just a week to week thing. Yeah. Uh, a lot of working at night to, to babysit the, you know, the batches of, of malt, but, uh, oh, wow. and we get, we, we got through it. Okay. Uh, which isn't the case every year. Yeah. So you know? do you, uh, uh, have you experienced, or would you describe that you can get a sense of terroir from your malt? Because I, I know, you know, malting is one of those things, you know, people are exploring terroir and hops because they're relatively minimally processed. But, of course, you know, barley is, is processed through the the, um, the sprouting process and the kilning process, the drying process, all the stuff. But can you still taste terroir out of your malt when it's all said and done? Well, I uh, I wouldn't go so far that, you know, you could taste malt and say, well, this tastes like Camp Verde. Oh, that other malt tastes like Bakersfield. Mm. But uh, I, I would say that, again, just just because we're a craft maltster, that the malt is fresh. Mm. In other words, the, the customers aren't buying malt that was has been inventoried for six months. Gotcha. Um, you know, it's, it's most of our malt is just because our production currently doesn't keep up with demand at all. We, our malt sold long before we make it. And so it's, it's very fresh. And, um, I, I think that's a real benefit to the craft brewers. I, I, I do think that, you know, different, you can have the same type of malt, like, you know, we sell a pale base malt and, um, you know, I've tasted other base malts and they, there are some distinctive differences, uh, and both delicious with, you know, there are a lot of good craft maltsters in North America, um, but you distinctly taste a difference. And I know it sounds very poetic to say, well, that's because, you know, you can taste the uplands of the Verde watershed. But mm, yeah. I, 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 again, I think it's just a combination of the, the weather, the grain, uh, and it's not going to, the same cultivar won't taste exactly the same as it did um, last year. You know, every harvest will have its, you know, it's just, it's unique life story and there'll, there'll be variations in the flavor, but I think something that will tend to come through more with craft maltsters is, is that the, the craft brewers are getting a, a fresh product, you know, how, how do you describe your, I mean, granted, you know, changes year to year, uh, as it should, it is fresh produce, but, uh, how do you describe your, your flavor profile and your base malts that you, that you send out to, folks you know i really uh i've got some other folks that do that for me gotcha. <laughs> nice. you know for for me i go god that tastes delicious or no that's a little on the you know and i i i never quite acquired that poetic jay peterman type <laughs> gotcha. approach that, that elaine would use in so, seinfeld yeah to, so describing you, things. So uh, you hire the people that describe it as a uh, light amber honey that's been baking on a cookie sheet for 13 minutes at uh, 261 degrees. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the one that you, this one, I get a, a sense of the perspiration from 
the farmer yes yes lugging the crops and i um yeah i think i would leave that to others that are inclined to do that i tend to focus uh on freshness and i'm looking at the at the different attributes that we get from the testing lab so i'm i'm a little more on the engineering end uh of things but i greatly appreciate those uh folks that can describe the malt but i can describe the experience and i i think one thing that uh it's just cool about what we do is we're, I think we're doing it for a good reason. Yeah. Uh, I, I call yeah. those people, uh, uh, flavor poets and, uh, they're, yeah. they're, they're the ones that, uh, you will taste something like, wow, that is amazing. Um, yeah. and then it's those people who can describe it and you're like, and you snap your fingers. Yes, yes, yes. That's exactly what I taste. And, you know, right. reminiscent of like, a, a you know, bees in a, in a good mood that particular day and unicorns flying over at night, you know, something crazy like that. Um, yeah, no, for me, it's dealing with power outages and yeah. moisture content and protein levels and things like that. And I, I have trouble getting, getting out of that uh, just because of my engineering background, yeah. I think. Well, perfect. Well, thank God for the work that you do so that the flavor poets can do their work. Um, yeah, but, and I love the poetry. Yeah. Um, who is using your malt out there for anyone who's like, Oh, I, I got to try this. Cause, um, I, you know, even before moving down here, uh, I started hearing a little buzz about snore and white wheat. For example, I've, I've heard other brewers that it became this fantastic ingredient that it was hard to get a hold of just because of it's not in great quantity yet, but, but right. I've heard people describe that, you know, this is fantastic, but who is actually using this in case anyone wants to come taste it? Well, the way it is with us, uh, and again, um, we we are just now starting a, a a big expansion, but we've been operating on kind of a pilot project level now mm. for three or four years. So, um, right from the beginning, for us, you know, um, Arizona Wilderness Brewing Company mm, has yeah. been a thought partner, and they. Um, you know, purchased the bulk of, of our malt. There's another local um, brewer, Sedona Beer Company, that uses our malt for all of their beers. Um, and then there's just a bunch of brewers that whenever we have, um, you know, a, available malt, I just call them. But, you know, Renhouse Brewing is used a lot oh, of yeah, beer. I love them. Uh, they, they're great. And then, uh, you know, that brewery here in the Verde Valley, uh, Belfry Brewing, uh, it's a long list, and I'm going to forget a bunch of people. Ells, Old Ellsworth Brewing. Uh, there's just a lot of folks that would be buying it if, if we had it available. But I think. 2022 we have a remedy for that oh fantastic uh, yeah and a lot of that has to do with the yavapai apache nation hmm. increasing their production of small grain uh which will allow us to uh, uh increase our production so we're we're in the, right now in the beginnings of you know building a much larger 
facility and uh, having significantly more equipment for so is the malting. is the goal to feed malt into just Arizona breweries and stay within the state, or to uh, expand enough to to uh, get some of your fantastic malt out elsewhere? Well, our priority is the state um, because, again, just you know, just in terms of sustainability, the more local we can keep it, um, I think the better out the outcomes are. For us and 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 our farmers, mm. but I think you know in the coming year we'll find out over the next couple of years where we may um, be shipping to folks outside of Arizona. But but again, just try to keep it as close as possible, you know, across borders, state borders. Yeah. Um, again, again, just to try to keep it as local as we can. So uh, what can, I mean, if, if they're, because of what you're doing, both uh, culturally, uh, environmentally, um, and, and just creating great product, that, that the reputation is already starting to uh, precede it, uh, precede what you guys are doing, what can maltsters and brewers around the, the country, even the world, what can they learn about the project that you're doing, the, the lessons that you've learned? Well, I... Uh... I think they're, uh, especially out west, and and you know just I want to be clear there there are a lot of craft malting facilities already out here that are doing wonderful stuff, and lots of craft brewers that are, you know, just shown a strong commitment in mm-hmm. corporate responsibility and giving back to their communities. But I think what we're looking at is there are opportunities not to replicate exactly what we're doing, but, you know, cause every, every tributary of every river is a custom fit in terms of the culture and, and water law and, and the opportunities to do things. But, um, you know, just right now it's, will, will crop conversion fit here? Can, can it be one of the tools? And again, I want to emphasize one of the tools that we might use, um, you know, to do something sustainable and something that'll make a difference and really provide a public benefit. Um, but again, you, you look around the country, there's so many craft malters that are just doing wonderful things with, um, you know, that, that, that I envy that they're like role model, role models to me. So I wouldn't want to, you know, put myself in a position to say, here, let me show you how to do it. Yeah. I think it's more, there's so many craft maltzers and craft brewers that are interested in giving back to the community and having a good corporate responsibility model and, 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 just by sharing with each other, we're learning. But to get back to your original question, I think there are definitely opportunities, especially in the West where water quantity is such a big issue. Um, There are opportunities where this would be applicable. Well, if I could extrapolate what you just said and then dare to summarize it, uh, it it sounds like the, the, 
your course of action and and what you would encourage others to do is to not try to, you know, take a craft malt franchise and just place these boxes all around uh, wherever it seems appropriate, but to respond to the need of the local community and the the local demands and try to make that connection between what's needed and 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 how to get it is that oh, a fair summation well said well said i mean it's a custom fit yeah you just can't do the cooker cutty fit cooker cookie cutter fit but um yeah and that gets back to where you know you approach each each watershed uh you know like it it takes a lot of different things done in a coordinated effort rather than a silver bullet. Yeah. So uh, that's right. And I think you'll, you'll learn by when you go into those communities and those watersheds do more listening than talking. And uh, that's the best way to know how to get started. Well, and I think, um, you know, for some people that uh, that they may find value in the the big monsters. I mean, the the huge companies that um, because you know the value is in is in a lower price or the value is in a consistent product. Um, and and I can I can see why people would would just kind of go there so that they can try to make a. a low overhead and, and a sustainable or not sustainable, but a consistent product. But where sure. is, but where is the, the romance and the, the real value of a sustainable craft malt? And we kind of dance around the subject, but I, I, I really want to land the plane on this. Well, I think it may go back to, um, you know, beer, you need water to make beer. And if you're where water, if you're in an area where water certainty is a big deal or uncertainty, I think it's, it, it gets back to a personal responsibility. We should like, we should do something to offset this. You know, maybe we should be using barley that takes less water to offset our beer or our water use. And and maybe we should be doing something that supports small farmers and native tribes um, just because of our personal philosophy about, you know, cultural diversity and, and supporting rural America. Um, I think there's a lot of things, you know, questions for folks to ask themselves, you know. And uh, I think in many cases, their patrons are willing to pay for, uh, pay more for a beer that kind of tells that story. Um, it, it may actually be a really good business decision in terms of revenue, but that'd be a, that'd be a question to pose to the craft brewers. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm, typically an optimist, but in the rare occasion when some cynicism arises, it usually manifests in thinking that, um, you know, our culture seems to prize, um, you know, the economics of something over everything else. And, and so if we can get a product for cheaper, then, then we, we, we've won the race, so to speak. But what we're talking about with craft malt 
we're talking about there's an economic cost, there's a cultural cost, there's an environmental cost, there's a uh, a, a product a, a, a opportunity cost. There's there's all all these different costs that we need to kind of weigh out, and and just the pure dollars and cents and economics of it is only one fragment of that larger pie. Um, and 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 even just the, like the the better flavor that I've experienced with craft malt over generic malt um, is still uh, very impactful to me and my palate. But that is still only just a, a yet another uh, small slice of that pie. Um, it, it sounds like that if we were to look at things in a more holistic view, that we would actually find something that is better for everyone. Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's the way I approach it as a consumer. You know, there's a value proposition there and you look at all the social capital. Like if you live in a rural community and you're going to go spend a dollar, how much of that dollar stays in your area and how much of it goes, you know, somewhere 2000 miles away and it doesn't get reinvested in the community. Yeah. And I think when you, if you factor in all those capitals, there's a lot of good reasons to, uh, to do it the way we're proposing that, that folks do it. And I totally understand small businesses, especially the last three years, they don't have the luxury of being able to do everything the way they'd like to do it when perhaps they're in a better financial system or a situation. Um, but um, I think if, if, if folks are in a better financial situation, they might be in a position to consider uh, the impact that their purchases have on the world they live in. So. Yeah. Um... At, at, before we start kind of wrapping things up, uh, is there what do you wish more people understood about malt or craft malt specifically? Oh, well, I um, I think perhaps one thing is that um, most people may not may not know that when you when you're talking about the two main things in terms of quantity uh, that go into beer or water and malt, I mean, there's a lot of other essential things like yeast and hops and other things, but um, you know, that malt is a big part of what goes into a good, a good beer. And, um, uh, there are a lot of different types of malt. And I personally, even before I got into um, this line of work, which I never would have forecast that I would get into this line of work, I, um, I always uh, gravitated toward ales that, that accented, you know, good malt flavors. Mm. And uh, I just, you know, I don't know, maybe I ate too much malt meal when I was a kid, <laughs> but, but I, it just really appeals to me. And, uh, so I, I've always tended to favor beers that, that you get good malt flavors and, you know, with all the different types of malt that are out there, it's, 
you know, I guess that that would be the thing that I would say is, uh, you know, folks were a little more cognizant of those malt flavors in a beer. Well, it's funny. Um, it's funny you say that because I mean, granted, I'm I'm a beer guy. I'm a beer professional. I'm, I'm a beer nerd. All that stuff. So I I love hops and I love what hops contribute to a beer. But at the end of the day, um, you, there are those who are hop heads and there are those who are malt heads. I'm 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 the uh, the latter. I'm a malt head. And uh, in a recent yeah. in a recent episode, speaking with a master cicerone, she felt the same way that that she just is more intrigued by the the complex flavors of malt. Um, even despite just the the mania over hops that we seem to be experiencing, um, uh, you know, around you know, for the yeah. for the last 10, 15, 20 years, um, you know, right. I, I'm looking forward to the day when when malt it becomes celebrated uh, again as much as as hops are. Yeah, yeah. So that I've always just been, been there with the malt. I mean, I just love curling up with a very malty ale and in the winter time it's yeah. like a meal for me so yeah um so to i've got a few wrap-up questions for you and these are a little bit more kind of fun and philosophical but uh okay uh, if I, I if i could wave my magic mash paddle and make you king of the beer world for a day or king of the malt world for the day whichever you prefer what's the first thing you would change Oh, wow. Um, well, see, for me, you know, my purpose for doing this is to, you know, support rural communities and, and to keep rivers and streams flowing. So if I was king, <laughs> you know, I would I would just wish that everybody was striving toward you know net zero water use on their on their brewing in other words whatever water they're using they're they're looking in their supply chain to, to try to offset that hmm. and that's 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 a that's a wish from a guy that lives in the desert southwest so i'm very water conscious yeah that makes sense but that that would be uh, I guess what my wish would be for for crap brewers to try to offset their water use uh, by looking at their supply chain and seeing if there, there's a way to do it, do it with their. And I think the easiest way to do it is is you know where you're where you're buying your malt. Well, but there's a lot of other things they could be doing too. So. Yeah, it, but yeah, you get to be king uh, of the world for the day, so that'd be the first thing you change. But you've got the whole day to to work on it. But the next question is that that day is over. You're now uh, retired as the king of the beer world, um, but you are now going to be sent as an ambassador of Earth to Mars to establish a uh, um, barley fields and uh, in a in a malt house. Um, but before you leave you get to choose your last meal and your last beer before you head to mars what are they going to be oh oh well gosh it would have to be a wild salmon <laughs> done in a sustainable way um 
maybe something from Scotland. Mm. And I would uh, want to be drinking a probably a Dubel or a Tripel Belgian male. Um, and I'd be finishing it off with a good single malt scotch. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, so the, the next question is, uh, with all of your experiences, both as a, I'm going to, I'm going to use the word civilian in the beer world and as a professional in the beer world, why does good beer or in your case, good malt matter? Well, I might steal a quote from Benjamin Franklin, you know, that beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. Mm-hmm. I, I think, uh, I can, ju- I just think of my life experiences, you know, and how much of them have been, you know, I'm like on a wild wilderness river, sitting around a campfire, you know, drinking a good beer. And I remember I've, you know, I've been, I'm over the hill now, but, you know, a technical mountain climber and river runner for most of my adult life. And, you know, just having a, we weren't able to, you know, have, there, there, were, there was not a way to have good beer in the wilderness area. Now there is, there's so many great craft beers that are, uh, canned and you can uh, take them on river trips, but um, yeah, yeah, I uh, gee, my mind's drifting now to those campfires. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, well, that that's just. So that's I'm, just giving, I'm giving you a bunch of dead airs. I know that's proof that good beer matters. That. When you when you drift off into your highlight reel, that that just means like, oh, that that that's just that shows that good beer has mattered to you in your life. And, and, and it was funny as you were telling your stories, I started drifting off into my highlight reel as well. Just thinking, yes. And I always do with this question. Um, there's so many great experiences that have come out because of these moments, um, fueled by good beer. So, well, I can tell you that, um, most of the good conservation agreements that I've come up with in collaborative agreements, We've been drinking either uh, good beer next to a campfire on the side of the river, or it could be, uh, you know, with my buddy Steve Ayers in his garage. And these can be people from, you know, global foundations or, you know, high up economic development folks. And we're sitting around and so many good ideas have come out of those conservation, those uh, conservation discussions with the help of just great craft beer. A lot of the things that are in place now in our area that I was involved with, they were, those were the, that, that was the, the scenario where the ideas came forth. Mm, Fantastic. Yeah. Well, if anyone who's listening to this, um, when this releases and in the future, if they wanted to learn more about you know, the work that you're doing, or if they just want to buy some of your malt, where can they go and connect? Well, we have a website, you know, it's www.sanagomalt.com. Um, and they can, if you 
want to have a conversation with me or or just get more information, I'm still the one that responds to the info at sonogamalt.com email address. And, you know, I'm, I'm always overbooked, but I always get back to people eventually. Hmm. At least I think I do. Well, you did. Um, you you were uh, immensely responsive to me when I when I reached out through the website. So, uh, so I yeah. really appreciate that. But um, it, do you have any calls to action or any uh, words of wisdom for anyone listening? That's the last thing before we send off. Oh, I don't have words to wisdom, but I do. I just like to thank everybody that's already doing things that provide public benefits and, uh, you know, whether it's helping underprivileged people or working hard on conservation causes. I, I just love it. Um, when I hear about people that are giving back to their communities, it's, it's real inspirational to me. And, uh, just want to say thank you to anybody that's listening that's already doing this wonderful stuff. Mm. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you for putting some incredible malt out in the world. And thank you for coming on to the Good Beer Matters podcast to share the story. No, I appreciate you inviting me. I appreciate it a lot. It was a lot of fun talking to you. Likewise. Beer is more than the sum of its ingredients. There's a lot we can learn about malt and the cultures and growers that lie beyond. My goal is not to tell you the whole story, but that there is a story and inspire you to pursue it further. Good ingredients are just the beginning. In the next episode, we move on to hops to learn the status of what has become the number one hop producer in the world. Good Beer Matters is a show about great beer, great friends, and the experiences we create together. But it's also about better beer education so you can level up your game. So if you're a beer and food professional or even a beer enthusiast, then please subscribe to Good Beer Matters podcast and go to goodbeermatters.net for more resources and next steps. After that, grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let the world open up. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.